Welcome to the Dizzy Discussions Podcast, the clinician's guide to vestibular rehab. Our goal is to spread knowledge and awareness of current and up-and-coming vestibular assessment, evaluation, and treatments for the vestibular veteran and novice alike. Without further ado, here's your hosts, Eddie Ernst and Dr. Stephen T. Marina. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Dizzy Discussions Podcast, a podcast made by vestibular therapists. You know, for both vestibular therapists, non-vestibular therapists, patients, whoever you may be, uh, just trying to get more information out there to people who are interested in the dizzy and off-balance population. Um, I'm uh, your co-host, Eddie Ernst, and with me I have uh, other co-host, Stephen T. Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're going to be doing some uh, case studies, case discussions about some patients we've had recently. Um, kind of talk about also, uh, I've recently got a student, I'm a new CI, so we'll kind of talk about a little bit about that, how that's going. And you know, as students, what can you, you know, do to make the best out of your uh, rotation if you're doing one at a vestibular clinic? Um, and we'll kind of go from there. Um, so I'll toss it up to, to Steven first so he can talk about some of the cases he's had recently. Awesome. Yeah, the, the kind of the first kind of case, I guess, maybe series or cases that I want to talk about were cervicogenic in nature. Um, so I don't know if a lot of vestibular therapists see um, cervicogenic dizziness, or maybe um, they don't know how to evaluate for it. Um, but we've actually seen quite a few in the past six months. I'd probably say I've had three on my schedule in the past maybe three or four months. And they can kind of vary. So some are tricky, and then some respond really well to treatment. And so I think what I've been noticing, at least for some of these patients, is um, they de- definitely need a thorough cervical spine examination. And um, what I try not to do is I try not to shotgun treatment approaches. So I try not to just throw everything cervical at them. Um, So maybe what I'll do is I'll kind of talk a little bit about um, evaluation, examination, how we kind of rule out uh, vestibular disorders, and then how we kind of get down to um, a cervicogenic diagnosis. So maybe that'll be kind of helpful. So um, from the start, when we're looking at those patients that are possibly cervicogenic in nature, um, there is a couple things that come up from the history. So when we're looking at their history, they might report intermittent symptoms of dizziness. So instead of the classic, let's say, positional patient that might report, I have positional vertigo with changing positions, the cervicogenic patient might report intermittent vague dizziness that is coming on and off or they might report constant dizziness with certain activities. Um, And then we have to, from there, try to do our decision-making tree. Is this patient reporting peripheral symptoms or cervical symptoms? So what we'll do is we'll look at their history. They might say, I have um, symptoms with quick head movements when I'm walking around. And so that might initially make us think, okay, this patient has peripheral hypofunction. Um, They have dizziness with quick turns, dizziness getting in and out of bed. So they kind of have this varied presentation. And then what we want to do from there is we want to keep digging a little bit deeper from the history. So when we go a little bit further, we start digging a little deeper, we might ask them some follow-up questions like, um, do you have any headaches associated with your symptoms? Do you have neck pain associated with your symptoms? Um, When you turn your head left and right, can you turn your head fully to the right and to the left? you have stiffness and restriction there. So we're starting to try to like pick out, are they having some cervical associated symptoms with their, um, with their dizziness? And I know I've looked at a couple of the articles talking about cervicogenic dizziness 
And some of those articles make it seem like there's always this direct connection between headaches and neck pain and cervicogenic dizziness. And I've definitely seen the connection before, um, but some of those patients don't have them at all. So they might not have a clear headache presentation that associates with their symptoms, or they might have observable neck stiffness, but it's still there. You just don't get it from the history. Um, so after the history, we'll take them through the thorough examination. Um, I always start first, first thing I start, I start at the beginning. I do cardiovascular screen. I do my um, typical vestibular examination for central, positional, and peripheral dizziness. And for those cervicogenic patients, they're going to come up negative. Um, so then what we'll do is then we'll move them into the next kind of section of our eval. We'll do gait and balance, and then we'll do a thorough cervical screening. So I thought what I'd do is from this part on, I'll talk a little bit about one of our patients that we had. I'll talk about what we did for exam, what we did for treatment, and then kind of go from there. So we had a 24-year-old male patient. He came to PT reporting vertigo and dizziness uh, that worsened with work activities. And he actually said he experienced spinning, which is supposed to be very rare with cervicogenic dizziness. But he did report spinning. And when I asked him to clarify, he said he felt like the room around him was spinning around. Um, we went through his history. We cleared him for red flags. Um, he had intermittent symptoms. It worsened with work activities. Uh, on the weekends, symptoms were a little bit better. So we're starting to see some, there's some sort of pattern during the work week. We ran him through a really thorough exam. We put him on infrared goggles. There was no peripheral signs. There was no central signs. There was no positional signs. And he's kind of thinking, okay, everything's coming up negative. He actually had great balance but he's still reporting symptoms. So in the clinic, he was probably about like a six or seven out of 10 on a uh, vertigo analog scale. He felt um, off balance, except his balance was normal. Um, he wasn't having any spinning, but he said he had some spinning um, vertigo at work the, the day of the exam. Um, so my student is there. Uh, she's like, what the heck is going on? We don't know, <laughs> this patient's clear for everything. So then we just go through the cervical exam and um, right from the start, um, he has a forward head posture, um, limited cervical rotation in both directions. Um, he actually has painful cervical extension looking up. He has a sharp pain in his neck. When I have him do a forward head protrusion, it actually increases his uh, headache. So he has a frontal headache at the same time. And then he said if his headache actually increases more and more, then it'll trip off his, uh, his uh, vertigo symptoms. So he's kind of giving us some, some signs and symptoms that this might be cervicogenic in nature. I do a neck differentiation test. Um, so that's like a body on head rotation. Um, so what we'll do is we'll stabilize the patient's head and then we'll have him rotate his trunk underneath himself. Um, and that reproduced his headache um, only with rotation to the right. Um, and then from there, what else did we do? We did cervical joint position error test, which was positive. And I did smooth pursuit neck torsion testing, and that was like uh, unremarkable. So following uh, the patient's uh, testing, uh, the first thing we do is posture correction, <laughs> and his headache reduces from a 7 out of 10 to a 2 out of 10. Um, and then we proceeded to do some repeated uh, neck retractions, and his headache um, goes from 7 out of 10 at rest to 2 out of 10, and it stays there. 
and um, he reports like I think 50 or 60 percent improvement after day one. So that would be my cervicogenic patient case um, from the last couple weeks. Uh, any questions? <laughs> Sorry, that was like a mind dump. Yeah, no, and that's like it takes me a second to to process everything on there. Um, so when you say, because I keep seeing like a lot of people when, um, like people are talking about like whether it's you know I have elbow pain or knee pain or whatever. Everybody always talks about like clearing cervical spine, clearing lumbar spine. Um, I know that's a big thing with like a McKenzie approach. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to think that, you know, most PTs do like clear cervical and, and lumbar spine um, with everything as a PTA, since I don't do differential diagnosis, but I'm trying to learn as much as I can, because I feel like that's like just going to help me and my PTs in the future. Um, so like when you say you're clearing cervical spine, what are you doing when you're doing that? That's a really good question. I think I brushed through it in the history, which I probably should have said more. I actually do, I'll do a full cervical exam. I'll check upper cervical spine rotation, um, OA flexion. I'll check gross cervical range of motion. And that's just the screening. That's just the start. That's the bare minimum. I think we've kind of talked about this in our clinic that most people will do that. And that's a really good thing. Like that's the start. Um, but that's just your screening because maybe that's going to pick up some VBI symptoms because you're bringing someone into end range rotation or end range rotation extension, but that's not really gonna allow you to see how the patient's symptoms actually respond to cervical spine movements. And so you're just getting an idea of what might be mechanically limited when you do a screening. So what we'll do after our range of motion screening, we'll actually then move on to getting, what we're trying to get is a, what we call a concordant sign. And we'll use special testing for that. So we might use smooth pursuit neck torsion or joint position error testing. Um, we might be looking for pain with movement, um, a body on head or a neck differentiation test. And we're looking for positive special tests that relate to the patient's symptoms. And then we'll take them through a, a very, what I use is I use a McKenzie repeated motion exam. Um, other therapists might use a, a traditional like orthopedic framework checking side bending and trying some joint mobilizations first. I stay hands off first. I'll check posture correction and see how that affects the patient's symptoms. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a test, retest, cause and effect relationship between neck movements um, repeated. So maybe 20, 30 repetitions in one direction and seeing how that affects the patient's symptoms. So for the patient that I mentioned, I actually started with neck protrusion first and I had him do 10 neck protrusions, forward head posture, and then actually started ramping up his headache, started ramping up his neck pain. And then I went the opposite direction, um, which is what I thought was gonna be effective for him, but I didn't wanna be biased. So then I had him do neck retraction, set of 10. Initially it was painful as he did more repetition. His symptoms actually started to reduce down. Um, and that's what we started using as our guide for our treatment. So when we're clearing the spine, we're taking those patients through those neck range of motion or neck movements, typically into their movement loss, and we're looking for symptomatic changes. So that would be my, my quick and dirty explanation of clearing the spine. Sure, yeah, no, perfect. Um, okay, okay, that makes a, a lot more sense on there. So like, just to make sure I'm following you on there. So like when, you know, somebody says, oh, they have elbow pain, I can't figure out what it is, MWM doesn't work, you know, everything seemed to be, you know, all the special tests for elbow are fine. And when they say clear cervical spine, 
that's essentially saying like do a cervical examination like in in full yeah i would i would okay. think so the cool okay. thing about it with repeated motions is it's really just test retest which anyone can do um so i so we will have students in our clinic or um, we've had PTAs that we've worked with, and I think everyone should be comfortable clearing the cervical spine. It's no different than yeah. I would think taking blood pressure. Yeah, uh, and anyone should be taking blood pressure, um, regardless of where they're at in the healthcare profession. So yeah, yeah, no, and and I agree too, and that's like why I, I do like learning, like when I go to courses and things like that. That's why I like the differential so much, um, because like all it's going to do is you know PTs depending on where you work you know you might have 30 minutes for an eval you might have 40 minutes you might have an hour um, whereas I'm going to have 40 minutes constantly with that patient so if things start not adding up I have that extra time to be able to like go through that stuff now you know for all the people that might be anti-PTA out there I'm not making a diagnosis I'm not doing like a quote-unquote examination even though if you google it it's the same di definition as assessment um, <laughs> But like if I go to my, and I had this, you know, when I first started, you know, somebody, I had a patient that we were seeing for dizziness and kind of a lot of chronic, chronic pain stuff. Um, she fell, hit her head super hard that she said on a, uh, on her cabinet, I think. Um, and she physically told me that she believed she had a concussion and I was not like super sure on how to screen or how to do any of that. So I went to my PT at the time. I was like, Hey, she says she has a concussion. She's very sensitive to the light. I think she might have a concussion. She's like, what else did you do? Like, what else makes you think, think concussion? And then, you know, deer in the headlights look in my face. I have a clue. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I think for PTAs, like just essentially to help, like, right, just help out that team is understanding the differential, understanding those tests, how to perform them. So that way, when you think something's going wrong, you can go to the PT with something more than, hey, I think something's going wrong. You say, I think something's going wrong. And I did this, 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 and it all was positive. I need you to take a deeper look on there. Yeah. Um, but perfect. I like that. Uh, I like that a lot on there. I'm going to, Mackenzie's on like top of my list of things to, to go through eventually, um, hopefully next year. Cause I just think it's one of the better things out there from what I've seen um, and heard from people. So yeah, the yellow, but, um, you're raising our profession. I'm trying, man. Yeah, um, man. That's just like, there's a lot of people out there that don't like, um, a lot of the like old guard out there that have uh, very strong viewpoints on things and luckily i'm equally strong on the opposite side and i'm more annoying than they are so they're more likely to leave before i am um anywho um sweet cervicogenic um actually i did have one other question so, yeah. so for the cervicogenic like you said you know a lot of people think uh, head or neck pain is you know essentially always there with the cervicogenic mm -hmm. dizziness um in terms of, you know, the treatment side of it, one thing that I've tended to defer to is essentially like suboccipital, like, you know, pressure with a little bit of traction or distraction. Have you found some fairly good success with that? Or am I just kind of throwing pebbles at the wall with that? No, I, I think, so the awesome thing about PT, um, and this is what I tell all my students, is that there's a ton of different ways to skin a cat. Yeah, And when someone says I do suboccipital retraction, that to me is no different than cervical retraction or unloaded cervical yeah. retraction okay. mobilization. So the cool thing is we as PTs are really, a ton of us are really doing the same things with our patients. Some, some of us might go hands-on first, whereas some of us might stay hands-off. I go hands-off because I want to build patient independence. Oh, for sure. Um, 
and um, and then I'll just do I do a typical force progression. So I go patient generated, patient generated with overpressure. So then I might go, okay, retraction doesn't work, or retraction's doing great, but then it plateaus. They're going to do retraction with self traction next. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they'll give themselves a self occipital release. Um, or if they really need that like manual component, I'll go hands-on, but yeah, you're totally on it. I think the cool thing is that if we can all as a profession, get on board with actually like holding ourselves accountable to our treatments and testing, do they actually make symptomatic changes, functional changes and mechanical changes, then I think we'll all start really finding that we're really doing the same things. Like, uh, with my cervicogenic patients, if they have dizziness with walking with head turns, I'll have them do the intervention and then right after maybe 20, 30 reps and they're saying they're feeling better, I'll have them prove it to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go up. Let's walk. Yeah. Okay. The walk, turn their head and they're like, oh, wow, it's better. And now you've gotten buy-in from that because now they see the cause and effect or there's times where where (laughs) you don't want to do this often. You actually have to make someone worse. (laughs) So, you know, for buy-in patient's not really getting it and they're like why am i doing this my doctor said you were going to do the repositioning maneuver and yeah whistles out of my ear i'll have them do neck protrusion and yeah. then have them feel dizzy and then we'll work our way back from there so yeah and i mean and i told you this before too like part of the reason i like vestibulars because we do have to make them a little bit worse to get them better just a little bit of the the status in me but it's also like you said you know you get buying you making them a little bit worse and then they feel just even a little bit better from their baseline after that point as well so um, it's always fun doing that i have a, i know i have a guy that just got evaled again yesterday i think and i'm pretty confident it's like for sure cervical um, involvement on there but we weren't really able to find anything that like gets it folks or whether it makes them feel better um, so it's coming back for round two so i'll have to brush up with you and mickey and, and see what we can figure out this um okay so going to one of my cases so we have a a, a couple different people i had well just for the anybody you know students and, and clinicians and everything listening I learned the other day i have a, a i had my first time of like going into you know posterior canal BPVV treatment where I went into left because she was positive for left last time. And I call it ripping BPPV where that nystagmus is uh, going and there's no <laughs> way you're missing it. Uh, so she had ripping BPPV on the left. Sweet. Awesome. Let it settle. Going to the right for position two, ripping right even more than left. And I was like, oh man, this is the first time I've seen it. And my thought was, where, you know, I asked her and she said, worse on the right. And she was already on the table to go through left uh, repositioning. So I was like, well, the right is worse. Let's treat the right. So I had her sit up instead of finishing the, uh, the treatment. So she sits up and she feels just awful and didn't want to continue with the rest of the treatment and said, I'm not going to do anything else today. I'm going to hold off. One of our PTs like knew her and recognized her and talked to her about it. And she, you know, Kind of just didn't let me live it down for the rest of the day. Said I was a wuss for not just taking her through the treatment. And I was like, I didn't know any better. So for a future reference, if you have a patient with bilateral and you find that out last second, go through the treatment if they allow you to just keep going through and worry about that other side later. Otherwise, they're going to feel like shit and not want to do anything for the rest of the day. Dude, I, I don't blame you, man. I don't want to get thrown up on. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I'm just I haven't like, I haven't had it yet, thankfully. I got drooled on twice today, and that was super gross. Um, well, but 
yeah, I haven't had, I haven't gotten thrown up on yet, thankfully. Um, but my vestibular case study that, you know, I haven't worked with this guy too much. So he's a mid thirties, um, male came in for dizziness, lightheadedness, swaying, um, that, you know, increased with, I'm looking at his eval cause I didn't do it. Um, walking long distances, caffeine, riding in vehicles and dynamically turning his head. Um, looks like PT like screened out allergies, screened out all like the other things he did have, you know, a sudden onset of t- tinnitus, um, changes in his vision. Um, he was able to like maintain his life for the most part, but it was just this like intermittent dizziness that bugged him. Um, CNS testing was all normal other than abnormal saccades, um, or saccades, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, FGA was all fine. Um, modified cat sib was sway throughout and severe sway on, on condition four negative for BPPV. Um, so we've been seeing him for a while and just not able to stir up his symptoms at all really in the clinic every now and then with enough like uh, head torque during like head turns, head nods and things like that. We could get him, um, PT screened him out for, I think, MS. And I don't remember what all he asked him, but he essentially asked him like all the signs and symptoms for it. And he said, yes, yes, yes. So we're hoping to get him in for VNG calorics and also uh, with a neurologist to to kind of rule out MS at this point. Um, But I had him today. And so I put him on treadmill tests because he said the heat and performing on stage, you know, really stirs him up. And I was like, okay, well, let's try cardiovascular see if that's going to get you. Didn't really get him with that. Had him do VizFlex, so VOR and Smooth Pursuits with it. Didn't really get him in it. And then he told me, he's like, it all, uh, it'll really get me if I stare at like a checkered pattern. And if I checkered pattern, get the, and then it really messes me up. So I was like, okay, okay, let's try that out. So I had him do like wide base support. Um, I have a, a set of YouTube exercises. Uh, they're called uh, eye exercises for lazy eye. Um, and so I pulled that up and started going through those, where it's like a smooth pursuit of a red dot on top of a checkered background. And within 15 seconds of that, he's like, I'm nauseous. I can't, I can't do this right now. And I was like, sweet, we found it. You're going to do this a bunch. So I like wrote it down for him to do. Um, and like, he seemed a little upbeat that we were finally like after 10, 12 visits, something like that, finally finding it something that could stir up his symptoms a lot versus just kind of going through the motions with, you know, trying to stir him up by putting tandem, eyes open, eyes closed, yaw pitch roll, all that stuff wasn't really getting him, but we finally got with the checkered background that like increases nausea, increases the dizziness, increases the symptoms, things like that. So I'm hoping to continue with that and hoping to get them in for VNG calorics as well. But at this point, like other than that, I'm kind of, um, we're a little bit stuck on him on, on what else to, to look for. So I guess for, for Steven with all of that, do you have any else other suggestions? Wow. You guys are thorough. I mean, that's awesome. I, I love it. I, I love that you guys keep pushing for that concordant sign. Um, that's what I would do. Um, I actually, like I wrote down, I exercise for lazy eye. I'm going to steal that for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, um, there's uh, what, like the very first one that pops up, it's like, I exercise is number one, number two, and number three. And it like goes through a progression. They're like five minutes long each. So I'll do like a minute on each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's one that says it's 12 minutes long and that one switches between different things every like minute and then it switches on its own in the same video every 10 minutes, but it has like a, uh, like a wave, like a checkered pattern. And then there's a wave. There's one where it goes into a cross. Um, there's one where like the bar, the bars across the screen are going back and forth. And then there's just a thing coming up like convergence and, and, 
convergence up in there. Um, so there's a ton of them on there that really mess up those visually uh, stimulated patients. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just try to, I, mean, I would do pretty much the exact same thing. I would just try to categorize him. I mean, if he's clear peripheral, if he's clear central, if he's clear positional, um, I always then have like my, I guess my in, inner mind treatment algorithm or algorithm, you know, are they visually induced dizziness? Is it, is it cervical or then is it like plain other? Is it 3PD? Is it, you know, is it Meniere's? I don't know. I wrote a couple things down. Um, the tinnitus, the vision changes, the intermittent dizziness. I would try to find out. I mean, the questions I would ask from the history would be, you know, was this an acute attack? How long did it last? Um, how long have your symptoms been going on for? Um, I mean, sometimes you can get tinnitus with obviously inner ear dysfunction, but you can also get it with upper cervical spine restrictions. Okay. So, I mean, but if, I mean, if he's coming up visually induced, I would try there first and then, you know, if that doesn't yield anything, then move on to the cervical spine. Um, and then, like you guys said, I mean, you're screening him for MS and VNG caloric. So you guys got all the, everything's covered. So now it's just figuring out how to help him with his symptoms. Yeah. And, and hopefully that is, and that's kind of where I like to, I don't like to say I'm, I'm a specialist or anything yet, but I feel like that's where, like, that's what I really like doing is like you said, finding that concordant sign. So when somebody has been in for a couple visits and we're still not, you know, kind of, you know, we're still treating them, trying to do something with them to get them better, but it's not doing much. Or like, I love spending 40 minutes just like, let's try this. Okay. Let's try this. Okay. Let's try this. Let's try this. Oh, that gets you. Let's do that a bunch. And like, just going through that. Like that's probably one of my favorite parts of the, the vestibular rehab and, you know, orthopedic, you can do it too. Um, it's just like trying to find those little things and like the patients, like I get like a very specific look on my face when like the wheels are turning. So like, I feel like the patients kind of appreciate that too. Where like, you know, okay, he's really trying to figure out what the hell is going on and he's really trying to figure out these different symptoms. Um, so sometimes we really don't do any exercises or anything like that in the clinic and the entire time is me just trying to figure out what makes them dizzy and what stirs up their symptoms. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's what you got to do and don't have to always focus on doing an exercise and just focus on where are you at a deficit somewhere and let's fix that and let's work on that. I mean, that's honestly tr true skilled care to me. Like that's the exact same way I treat. Um, <laughs> we've had students who are like, we only did one exercise with them. I'm like, yeah, we only, we only have to do one exercise with them. It's, it's okay. Um, I, this is what I tell like our students. Um, if your neurologist can bring you in for an evaluation and just evaluate you, right? Like a traditional neurologist might be able to evaluate you. He doesn't have to give you treatment. He just goes in there and spends maybe 30, 15 minutes. The perception of what he's doing is skilled care from the patient standpoint is okay. Why can't we be at that same level? Why can't yeah. we, why can't we be allowed to diagnose and problem solve and maybe just give one exercise? Why do we have to just, just treat? or just get stuck in treatment mode. So we have a little saying here, always assessing, never guessing. Mm -hmm. um, because once you start going down the guessing route, you're not really doing skilled care, you're just shotgunning. And so, yeah. um, but like you said, trial and error, that's that's skilled. So yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I really like that a lot. Thanks for listening to the Dizzy Discussion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something today. Be sure to continue the conversation on our Facebook groups, Evidence CEU Vestibular Study Group, or the patient-centered support group called Dizzy Discussions Vestibular Support Group. Also, be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to sharing our next episode.